With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Matt Penny is with me in the building. We're going to dive deep into your questions and we're going to talk some NBA draft betting props. Some of the most important stuff that people care about this time of year. Uh, we got Jacob and Zach on the ones and twos <laughs> behind us producing the show. Yes. The way this is going to work today, the first 20 to 25 minutes, we're going to dive deep into NBA draft props. We're going to run through the odds for the first overall pick, second overall pick, third overall pick. We're going to talk a little bit about the first overall pick movement because that's kind of interesting in regard to Paulo. Then we're going to do NBA draft props. Zach is literally just going to flash up random NBA draft over unders. And we're going to talk about uh, the ones that he flashes up and we're going to say over under within one minute, uh, explain why, and then move on about the 25 minute mark of this show. We're going to start doing mailbag questions. We're going to go basically for 35 minutes until uh, we are out of questions or until we run out of time. So we're doing about an hour today. Penny, I've not yet introduced you really. Hey, how are we doing? What up, Ben? How's it going? Uh, everything's going fantastic with me. I feel like, and I've had people ask, are, are you are you tired talking about this draft class? I'm not, but I also feel like, and we were talking before we hit record here, that we've put in the work, that we've talked about them so much. It's sort of like a, a marathon runner, probably like the day before the yeah. marathon. Like, they don't run. They have, like, the pasta dinner. They pick up their number. They relax. I feel like that's what this is right now for us. It, it's not this stressful thing where we're, we're going bananas. We're answering mailbag questions. We're, we're talking props. It's fun stuff. More so, how are you? You released a, a 93,000 word. Uh, I don't even know the, what how I want to phrase this. Draft Bible, draft guide, draft manifest, uh, which, is, which is fantastic. And obviously, a labor of love other than Keegan Murray being criminally too low. I thought it was perfect. Uh, how, how do you feel? How, how is the the sleep? Or are you like waking up at night worried about like the 53rd pick should have been 51st or where's our mental at right now? I'm doing well. Uh, it was funny. I was just on Titus and Tate. Uh, that'll be coming tomorrow, I believe. And their producer, Jim Cunningham, who is terrific. He literally listed out a list of great American novels that are shorter than the draft guide. (laughs) And I was just like, I think I've heard of like half of these. I knew that the first two Harry Potter books, they're always the ones that I note as being shorter. Uh, Really? That that's actually impressive. 
Because yeah, Harry Potter, so, even if you didn't read them, you remember kind of growing up, or whatever. They were really thick. Like those books were not short either. As the, the as I got on, were, as I got on in time. Yeah, yeah, the first two are not bad. The I did not write Goblet of Fire length yeah. shit. I will say that. Uh, having said that, though. It's a labor of love. I enjoy doing it. I have so much fun, you know, releasing it out into the world. I'm so appreciative of everyone who, you know, sent me kind feedback on it or just said like it's psychotic because it kind of is. Let's be oh, real so with there's, it. There's like, a dash, right? Isn't there a dash of psychosis and madness and genius too? So it's got to be that. It can't be the the full, full labor of love. There needs to be some crazy. Yeah. Like 50% psychosis, 45% madness, and then like 5% genius, I would say. Um but no, it's super fun. I obviously also released a mock draft today, which is a good way to transition into us talking about draft props because, you know, obviously when I do the mock, I am projecting the way this thing is going to go. When I do the draft guide, I'm just telling you what prospects I like at the end of the day and where I have them ranked. So in that vein, I think that we should start by talking about the number one overall pick prop. Uh, Zach, if you could flash that one up on the screen for us. Look at how high tech we are now. Growing. It's evolving. unbelievable. Oh, man. Jabari Smith is currently down to minus 185. He was floating down around like 145 at one point yesterday. Chet Holmgren has retaken the second spot after... Heavy action got Paulo Bancaro up from like he was at eighteen to one in some books, yeah. twelve to one in some books, and is now at two point four to one uh, at plus two forty. Did you have any strong reaction as the markets kind of pushed Paulo toward uh, the number one spot, and then? created mass hysteria in NBA front offices <laughs> with people wondering like, wait, who did they did, talk did to? Know who something? was that? Who did, they talk yeah, to? Well, who did we know? I, I really try to stay away from it. Today was the first day I actually looked at some of them because so much changes and, and this is going to change again. I don't know how much the topic will the rest of the draft. The It's so wide open with trades and Hey, is he going seventh or is he going ninth? It really depends on the team. There's a lot of teams trying to move up. Some trying yeah. to move back and that'll shake out a lot of it. Uh, I was surprised a, a little bit how significantly Paolo shifted. The the workout feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. We talked about that on the last podcast. I don't know if number one Orlando is necessarily the place where he's going to fall on draft night. I don't really love these odds to to hammer one side or the other. It's it's funny how it, it moves now by the day. If, if I had to, he said, "What's your money on?" I would still take Jabari Smith Jr. as as the the favorite, and obviously on the board is the favorite there too. But it's not like alluring enough for me to say, hey, I'm going to put some money on it. So if you remember on the last podcast we recorded, we were asked this question by Jack Miller, who writes for Establish the Run and mm-hmm. is uh, always very curious in these props. He literally asked us, like, how would you handicap the number one overall pick race right now? And you just handed it off to me. And I said, look, I think that Jabari at minus 200 is probably a little bit aggressive. I would have him at yeah. minus 165 and I would have Chet at you know, minus one or plus one thirty, and then maybe Paulo at four or five to one. It you know, Chet and Paulo have kind of closed a little bit, but the markets kind of came back a little bit toward where my initial reaction is, and that's where it was at yesterday. So yeah. it was literally at Jabari at like minus one sixty. So 
I am not super surprised by the movement. I think it's mostly a reaction to the fact that NBA front offices are genuinely split on who they see as the number one overall pick, despite the fact that people who do mock drafts like myself, John Gavoni, Jeremy Wu, guys that you know have real sources and uh, guys that have done this well uh, in the past, we all had, unfortunately, a consensus where all three of us had Jabari, Chet, then Paulo. And I still think that that's by far the most likely outcome here at the end of the day is that it goes Jabari, Chet, then Paulo. But I also am uh, cognizant that I don't think that this decision was made like immediately upon when the lottery happened. And these guys are all very close. Uh, these guys are all really ridiculously close. And I do think that there's a real chance like the pre-draft process maybe could have swung things for Orlando in a real tangible way. I, I don't think this was done by any stretch of the imagination when the lottery happened. I don't know that it was done as of, you know, a week ago, right? I don't know if it's done yet, to be honest. Uh, most of the time, the way that draft week works is that, Teams spend Monday and Tuesday finalizing their board, maybe a little bit into Wednesday, and then they take Wednesday and Thursday to assess the market and see, you know, what is out there, basically. So I would imagine that Orlando is, you know, finalizing its decision now, and we'll see what it ends up being. But I still think that the way the odds are listed with Jabari Smith at number one, Chet at number two, Paulo Bancaro at number three. I think those are right. They are right. And just to, as a prospect, kind of like quick breakdown on it too. And you talked to us with Andrew and Alex. I don't know it's the NBA, the athletic NBA Potter or down to door, down to dunk, whatever we're down to do. It's cool how they're three front court players and also so different. It's not like they're, yeah. they're very similar stylistically and they're whatever the, the way they play and say, well, you know, Jabari did this a little bit better than Chet. Like Chet just defensively is, head and shoulders above these guys. Like Jabari Smith Jr. is not a bad defender, but like that type of rim protection. Then Jabari Smith's jumper is so much further ahead than the other guys. Then Paolo, just like the self-creation, is so much further ahead. So it's like, what do you value within your your overall team construct? And it's a good problem to have at that number one. Despite there not being like a traditional tier one guy, it's, it's a really good piece to build around whatever else you got to. Yeah, so I actually texted someone that works in the betting industry Earlier today, I wonder if there is value on Jabari uh, when he was down at like 145 earlier today. Uh, I I was kind of thinking that might be the case. So I I wonder if the market has just gone a little bit too far in the direction of uh, Jabari and or uh, gone a little bit too far in the direction of Paulo at the end of the day. So, okay, uh, Zach, real quick, let's run through the odds for number two overall. (laughs) Here we go. Oh, here's good. Chet Holmgren is minus 175. Jabari Smith plus 160. Paulo Bancaro plus 300. I think it's much more likely that Chet Holmgren ends up being the number two overall pick. I think these odds are correct. I don't know that I see a lot of value here. Do you? I don't, but if you're just like an absolute degenerate, I don't think Paulo Bancaro plus 300 is like a bad thing to take a flyer on. Because I'm, I'm kind of under working assumption that Jabari's going one, and the decision's going to be two. Is, is it Chet or, or Paulo? Oklahoma City has kept it close to the vest forever. Did they trade out of there? Did they do something funky? They're known for doing stuff differently. 
that would be a different pick than sort of what you alluded to, the consensus of what everyone else has. Well, and for what it's worth, I think different for them, given what the re- – there have been random reports out there that they like Jaden Ivey, right? And we so don't have Jaden. Right, and wouldn't that play into it? Like if they like Jaden Ivey, they say, hey, we can give it four. If they somehow traded, it, it was a flip, a three-way pick or whatever, because that's second overall pick. It doesn't say who Oklahoma City's pick is. If somebody right. trades up, do they take Paolo Bancaro? Possibly. Right, and, and Jaden Ivey is sitting at 21 right now to go second. I like that more than I like Paulo at three to one. Um, if you're looking for a flyer, but I think it's much more likely that Chet goes number yes. two. Uh, Zach, flash up number three overall. We've got Paulo Bancaro minus 320, yeah. Chet Holmgren plus 550, Jabari Smith plus 600. The fact that Paulo has slid so far back toward the number one overall pick in terms of the odds because sportsbooks has taken sportsbooks have taken so much money on him now at number one. Uh combined with the fact that he is still minus 320, him going number three is actually the biggest favorite out of all of these top <laughs> realistically yeah. like five picks, I think even. Um to me that is incongruous and says that it is the line is moving more as a liability from a liability perspective in regard to sports books as opposed to um, real tangible information. You also have to remember too these these lines typically like sports books are comfortable sticking to their line if they're like really comfortable sticking with their line. Those lines like in games and futures and everything, those are more based on like algorithms. These are like informational, like exotics almost in some ways. And I think sportsbooks have to be a little bit more aggressive in regard to covering their ass in terms of liability. Again, this isn't to say that Paulo has no chance to go number one. I think that the odds now are like somewhat commensurate with what they should be. But I just also think Jabari is the clear favorite, and I think we should move go forward from here. Yeah, and no value in this third overall. No money here. Okay. Let's move forward. Zach, you are up. You're going to post random draft over-unders. Right. I will read them off, and we will uh, dive deep. Do it. Number one, Ty Ty Washington. His Good draft position over under is 19 and a half. That is not really juiced much. It's at minus 120. Uh, Matt Penny, where are you at? Ty Ty Washington over under 19 and a half. Over for me. I think you mocked him at 17, 18? 19. 19. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be so many like this. I would take slightly over because we have to account for some of the risers who we'll get to later in Dale and Terry and Jalen Williams. I think there would be could potentially be some party crashers that are bumping down a few spots. I think he goes to the 20s. Obviously, it's a, it's a line that's right on, but I'll go over. I'll go under. Uh, I think it's very slight. I would not bet on this no. uh, at all. I would stay away from this entirely. Ty Ty was one of the toughest guys for me to slot in the mock draft. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I, I'm not totally sure what's going to happen with him on draft night yet. And that's concerning because I really like Ty Ty. I have a lottery grade on him, as people know. I'm a fan. Uh, Zach, you are up. Let's go. Number two, Johnny Davis. 
over under nine and a half. The over is juiced to minus 260. The under is, I believe, at plus 200. I like the under at plus 200 here, actually. I think that there's some value on that. I think it is more likely that he goes over nine and a half. But when we account for the fact that you can get two to one on your money at under, uh, that might be the odds that I would take. You look like such a Vegas sharp right now, like just a little like zany go around. It's two to one. It's a. Uh, I'm going to go over as much as it it breaks my my little heart here. Yeah. I'm a huge Johnny Davis stand as we've covered many many episodes. I think it's more likely he's ten to Washington, eleven to New York. Both teams involved in trade talks too, so who knows? But that, I would go over here safely. Yeah. Eh, not safely, also, but there, there's only there's only a few spots before that when like could like Portland shock us at seven, maybe. Could New Orleans at eight, maybe San Antonio. I, I don't know, but it's just so much more likely the the candidates there for him to go like ten to fifteen, really. Yeah. Okay, uh, Zach, you're up next. Number three, EJ Liddell, uh, over under twenty and a half. By the way, Johnny Davis, I have at nine on the mock. Of course you do. Ty Ty Washington dive at nineteen. <laughs> is over under nineteen and a half. EJ Liddell. 20. EJ Liddell. I have a 20 right now. So, so who's your draft guide? Who who got it first? <laughs> Can I see your email history? <laughs> Is there like John at, at Vegas.com um, or something? Yeah, I like the over here a little too. bit more than the under, but I would stay away from this. What do you think? Uh, over. Uh, I would say over. If we're saying – if we're hedging within the hedge here, if we're saying Ty Ty is somewhere in that 17, 18, 19 range, I'm guessing Chicago probably goes a guard at 18, so you're betting on – does Minnesota or San Antonio take them? I don't think Atlanta takes them at 16. I don't think Houston takes them at 17. So I would go over. I wonder. Yeah. yeah I wonder if like Charlotte would consider him at 15 if they keep oh, that pick high. and yeah. maybe look at moving PJ Washington in order to like get like maintain cheap value for someone who's like a six, seven forward who can kind so, of do a lot of stuff. So, so if you did that, well, let's say Charlotte takes them at, at 15. So 13, you're not going with the the world famous mock draft darling of Mark Williams. You're not going Jalen Dern. You're not going to draft two front court guys at 13 and 15 is my question to you. Why not? We're doing the two big thing again. When's, when's the last, the, but the EJ is not really a big, like EJ can shoot yeah, a little bit. He's kinda, more though. of a four. Right. Like, the, the cell is like, he's, I don't want to say poor man's, but he's like Grant Williams light. He's not the defender, so don't don't yell at me. Yeah. But it's like a a shooting guy that plays in the front court. That's more. He's closer to a five than he's a three. Put it that way. So I consider him a front court guy. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I would say I I would stay away from this number basically with each over. Um. All right, Zach, you're up next. Tari Eason over under seventeen Very and a half. One. We're four for four now. I'm target <laughs> 17 on my mock. Right I have now. your I have your draft guide minimized. Should I just pull it up? We start like a we'll just read off a name, put a point five on it, and just say, hey, over or under. I don't know. I, I would stay away from this entirely. Uh, I don't have strong takes on where Tari Eason is going to go. Uh, I don't either. But if I'm in the front court market, I could see Charlotte at 13 or 15 taking that guy instead of EJ Liddell and taking him instead of a Mark Williams or Jalen Duran. Uh, I think I would, I would go. Oh God, this hurts. I'd stay away uh, under if I had to. It's like, hey, you have to make a pick. I'd go under, but just ever so slightly. 
under if I had to, I think I'm more in the boat of stay away as well. Uh, Zach, number five or six. Jeremy Sohan, 12 and a half. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is a fun one. I would go under on this one. I know it's juice minus 170. Uh, look, you're talking to two of the biggest So fans on the internet. <laughs> like We are really big Jeremy Sohan guys. We have been high on him throughout the course of the pre-draft process. I have him right now, I believe, at number 12 on my yeah. mock, which, you know, hysterical again that we're now five for five. Um, I think he has a chance to go anywhere like, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, basically. Yeah, I would I would go under. I, somehow, strangely, like his stock was hotter a week ago. Like if the draft was a week ago, I'd go, I'd hammer the under. And now it's like sort of changed. I don't know why. Like I don't, <laughs> were there bad interviews or the bad workouts? I, I would still go under, but I think it's closer to this number. Whereas a week ago, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's seven to 10 somewhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got Mark Williams draft position over under 13.5. Uh, the over is juiced minus 155. I would stay away from this because I think that the big market is very difficult to gauge right now. I would also stay away from, I don't know if Zach's going to flash up Jalen Duran's number, but uh, I would absolutely stay away from the big market right now because if San Antonio goes big, it pushes up everyone. Like Mark Williams probably goes 13 and that creates an under. If Jalen Duran goes nine or 11, or if Jalen Duran doesn't go nine or 11, it probably pushes Jalen Duran to 13 and then Mark Williams down the board a little bit more. I think it's very, very difficult to gauge uh, the way that the big market is going to shake out on draft night. I would go over. And the reason I do is if it's things stay or remain as they are, I don't where Oklahoma City's drafting before and 12 could be in play for some action there. I don't think they take a big. I don't think Charlotte having 15, knowing Cleveland probably won't take one at 14. So I would go over. So here, here's my thing. I, I see that Jack V also commented on the they won't take a big thing at 14, right? I, if I'm Charlotte, I am taking my big at 13. If I am taking a yeah, big. Yeah, safety. If you really like him, if, if that's like your guy, you're enamored, we, we got to do it. Yes. Because then you run the risk of Cleveland getting bowled over by an offer by a team trying to jump you at 15 with everyone knowing in the process that someone is go that you're taking a big at 15, basically. I, it, look, this this is a game theory podcast, right? I think you have to game <laughs> theory this game out theory means, a little bit but, further. Yeah. And think about the way this would work. I do. If Charlotte is going to take a big, I bet you they will take him at 13, unless there are two of them on the board. If there's two of them on the board, if there's both Mark Williams and Jalen Duran left, they say, hey, they're, they're pretty close, but we like this swing man, this wing more. We're going right. to take it at 13, Cleveland, whatever. If you want to trade away and, and then take Mark Williams and spoil the party, fine. Duran's there at 15. But if one of those two, Duran Williams goes earlier, then yes, possibly. Short answer over for me. Okay, Zach, uh, give us another one. Jalen Duran, of course he did. Uh, over ten and a half. I, I'm staying away from this. I don't. I don't have a good gauge of what San Antonio is going to do because San Antonio, in general, has a very secretive draft process. I know that Jalen Duran is the hot name right now with uh, the Spurs, and I, you know, a lot of people have him mocked there. 
everything I've been told is that they're probably going to stick to their board and that like, it's not a guarantee that they take a big here versus waiting on a big at 20, waiting on a big at 25. 25. Like, they have so many options for what they could do. If they have Jalen Duran as the highest person on their board, I can see it, but I'm I'm not convinced that that is the way this will go. Are you? Uh, I'm not convinced, and this might shock some people. Although it wouldn't be me, I'm going to go under. I, I would stay away from it. I just I kind of have an inkling that for a guy that is 19 in November, that he's looked good enough. And during the pre-draft stuff, he, he looks fantastic. I don't want to say good enough. He, he looks like you, you built him out of a, a laboratory what a post player. Yeah. A, a bruising, rebounding, running post should look like. I, I think somebody's going to fall in love taking the top time. All right, Zach, give us another one. Oshai Agbaji over under 14. I'm very confused by this number. Why? Uh, 14 is high, man. And for it to be juiced as high as it is, it under, like his his over 14 and a half is plus 150. I'm taking that all day. The over, right? Yeah, I'm taking yeah, over I am all too. day. I am plus, too. This, is, this is one of my favorite that we've had so far. Me too. That It does seem... I think we're using high, low, and in, in other directions, but it seems like this should this number should be seventeen and a half, and then I'd have to think about it. Fourteen yeah. and a half. That would basically mean that someone from New York, Oklahoma City, Charlotte wants in Cleveland take him. I, I don't know. I, I, everything from Ojai, good, bad, and different, has been similar throughout the year. He's gotten a lot better, and then. Everyone just sort of slaughtered him like 10 through 12, and guys rose, guys fall. He's just slipping down naturally just because of other guys uh, making their ascension. It's not that he's done anything to hurt his personal stock. I think other guys have just helped a little bit more, and you start looking at the age and second guess if he can be a 3 and D guy, and what else does he do? So I'm going to take over there. Yeah, I agree. Over plus 150, that is like a very strong one for me. Uh, Zach, let's go a couple more. Dyson Daniels uh, over under seven and a half minus 195 juiced. I think I'm going over just slightly, just very slightly uh, over. Uh, I have him at seven right now. So this is a pretty dead on number. If you're making me pick, I think I would go over the thing that's interesting for me here is that the over under is juiced so strongly toward under here at minus 195. Uh, Dyson Daniels over is plus 160. I think I like over seven and a half plus 160 if you made me pick here, but it wouldn't be far over. I, I cannot see him getting out at the top 10. Agree. I'll go over. This is another trade dependent one with Sacramento at four, Detroit five, Indiana six, Portland seven, even yeah. New Orleans eight. We've we've heard kind of like floated offers, whether real or not, but at least gauging the market. Those could be completely different teams, and and somebody could just be leapfrogging yeah. to get him at seven because they think New Orleans likes him at eight, San Antonio at nine. Stay away. Had to. Uh, I'm going slightly over though. All right, Zach, uh, give us one or two more. I, Walker Kessler over been, under 24 and a half. There's been like one easy one so far, I think. This is difficult. Uh, yeah, I think I have Walker at 25 right now. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're there. Like, 
either I'm on it or like we're getting uh, similar something. intel to Vegas here. That's great. Um, yeah, I think I would go over. To be honest, I think that this one's close though. Yeah, I'd go over. Same thing. I, I was looking at my my draft board and it said the 25th. Pay. It went Milwaukee, Kennedy Chandler, Dallas. I'm like Kennedy Chandler. Who's he drafting? Has a typo on my end, but I, I would go over there too. Yeah, uh, Zach. Let's go AJ Griffin. Over under ten and a half with the over juiced minus two sixty five. I would go over here even with the juice. Um, unfortunately, I don't think you can really parlay uh, draft props. Really, this would be like kind of one that's like kind of tailor made to try and parlay uh, to bring the juice down a little bit with something else. But yeah, I think over. Over by a couple. Yeah, it's a good line. Good line. It's a good line. All right. <laughs> all lines. You like the draft guide? Wait till we see what we have for you next. Zach, one last one. Benedict one. Matherin like over under six and a half. Under is juiced minus 160. Under. I think he goes under. Uh, I think he goes five or I six. Concur. Four, five, six. Yeah, going under. Yep. Yep. I would be surprised if he got past six. He's had a great pre draft process. Um, Guys uh, across, you know, coaching staffs, front offices really seem to like him, really seem to like the way he's competed uh, in workouts and his overall level of just aggressiveness in there. Yeah, uh, I think this is it. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back. We're going to answer your questions. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, 
With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. Nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right, folks, we're going to bring in Zach and Jacob. They're going to come in. They're going to chat a bit about these questions that we've got. I think we got a lot of great ones uh, into Matt and I's Twitter mentions. We got uh, a couple here coming on the YouTube chat, which is good. So Zach, Jacob, whichever one of you wants to go first, shoot Matt and I a question. All right. Hmm, kind of perfect here because Walker Kessler was one of the last draft props you guys did. So at Gym Teacher 215 says, if Walker Kessler is there at 23, do the Sixers draft him? Why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's very like, specific. It's very specific. Yeah. They've had a big, they've had a question with bigs for sure going back now. Like their backup center position has been an absolute nightmare uh, for a few years now. Do I, if I'm drafting at 23 and I think the Sixers, just given Daryl Morey's draft history, he tends not to like drafting young players. I think he might try and use it as a trade chip in some manner, just given his past that has nothing to do with what I've heard. Um, That just has to do with me like judging Daryl and like knowing your scout on like the GM basically that's involved here. Um, I think that if you're drafting at 23, you need to take a guy that at least has a chance to play in your closing lineup. And I don't think that Walker Kessler has a chance to play in their closing lineup. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're drafting more or less a backup at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, you don't. I, I wouldn't. I'd, I'd swing. You, that's what the draft's here for. You swing for potential starters, guys down the line. Although Walker Kessel's a good player, I don't think he starts with the pieces that they have. So I would not take him there. I wouldn't. Yeah. All right, Zach. Uh, give us the second question. All right. This question comes from Noah Th11. Which top fifteen prospect could you see plummeting down the boards to twenty or even further? Plummeting. Matt? Plummeting. So, how far is our plummet here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Guy that's seen as a lottery guy going in the twenties. There's a world, despite me waving the flag for the last three months here. I think there's a world. Malachi Branham could be that guy. Uh, Yeah, that that's the name that that stands out to the most. That could go down to the twenties. Like if we we talked about bigs, we talked about maybe Dern could go down five or six spots, right? Uh, Mark Williams could go down five or six spots. I have Malachi very high. I think nine or 10. Most people have him around 15. If, if he ends up at 20 and people prioritize Ochai Abaji or, or Dale and Terry leapfrogs him, that wouldn't blow me away either. Yeah, Malachi Branham, I think, is the one that stands out to me. Ty Ty Washington, we kind of talked about at the jump, yeah, but his so over under now is like 19 and a half. So I don't know that he's necessarily seen as like that lottery guy anymore. Uh, but Malachi Branham, I think, is a good one. A guy that is still mocked, you know, 
top 15, top 16 pretty regularly that I would not be surprised if he ended up uh, falling down the board a bit. All right. So from at Mikkel Nielsen, double zero. What is the highest you see Usman Jang going? Uh, number eight yeah. to the Pelicans, yeah. I would say. Uh, he is someone that fits a lot of the things that the Pelicans look for in prospects. He has versatility. He has ball skills. He has great positional size, uh, an inconsistent jumper, which they just straight up believe that they can fix. Yeah. But he has like enough potential to shoot it to where it is fixable. Uh, I, I would say number eight is probably the highest I can see him going. That's the highest, and the floor is no lower than 20-ish, right? It's like Certainly in that lottery range, maybe late lottery at worst. And a guy that, that flew up, I mean, I, man, I don't know how late it was, January or February, when I circled back. I had him outside the first round. I'm like, I don't see this at all. And got better, finished strong, and I, I think I put him at 20th. I don't know how high he is on your, your board versus your mock. And some people were kind of like, how dare you have him 20th and not higher? Like, hey, I had him 43 like a month ago. <laughs> I'm getting there. It's it's just an acquired taste. I, I like him. It's not even like a um, – it's not – like a strength thing because if I say he's too skinny, people yell at me and say, well, you have check number one, you idiot. And, and I agree with that. It's more just like the physicality. It's the rebounding. How does that translate to the NBA being six foot 10? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't like going in the tough areas. I think yeah. right now, um, you know, it's a lot of, I'm going to take a little running floater instead of using my length and extend to finish around the basket. It's I'm going to, you know, kind of fade away at the rim when I'm going to try and finish. Uh, not the most physical defender, although he has real tools defensively with his feet and with his length. So, yeah, he just needs to get a little bit, a little bit stronger, I think, and a little bit more willing to go in those areas. Okay, uh, I forgot, uh, Jacob. I think you asked that one, Zach. You're up. Let's go, Zach. Does fall to me at Thunder Draft. Thunder draft. Curious, yeah. why there's such a vast disparity between Sharp and Hardy on so many of these backboards? Uh, Shaden is enormous and long and more athletic by a pretty substantial margin while being a similar level pull-up shot creator. Hardy might have a little bit more uh, juice off the bounce in general. Like his craft off the bounce is very legitimate. I think he has a case as the best technical ball handler in this class uh, in terms of using change of pace and change of direction. And I have, you know, Jaden Hardy at 20 and I have Shaden Sharp at nine. So I think I'm probably a little bit closer on these two than where other people are. But um, yeah, the, the difference is just like size and athleticism at the end of the day. I have them almost like two completely different buckets. Like I, I wouldn't even consider them yeah. positionally like the same player. Like Shaden with his length can play up the lineup. Hardy's just kind of like a straight combo or two. Like no way I'm having him guard threes. The explosion is a complete different level. Jaden's never had that. Jaden has a lot deeper range uh, off the pull-up, especially in high school, like kind of in the gym type range where he can pull up from anywhere. And I don't think Shaden has that, but Jaden has better – like functional shot creation, like he can do it yeah. without taking eight dribbles. It's like three or four that you want to get down to two, just like a, a step ahead a little bit in that way. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. So at Nick X Smith 30, outside of the obvious guys like Paolo, who are the most NBA ready guys in this draft and why? Uh, I, I can kick this one off here. 
Yeah, go for it. It's Sam Payton. Uh, Keegan Murray is my answer, and he yeah. is in that, uh, to reuse the bucket word, he's in the same bucket as Franz Wagner, as me for last year. Just like, don't overthink it. It's going to translate. He has size. He's a, he's a different shooter than Franz. But I just had no hesitation. So I'm like, how does this fit? Like, does that does that work the way he plays? Yes, he can shoot. He can score in the post. The defense is, is good enough. He can play in transition, different paces. He's used to being just like a cog in the whole thing. He's used to being this heliocentric guy. So he's going to go into a place, wherever the franchise is, that picks him and just be ready to contribute from the first day. And he's a little bit older too, which I think helps that he's 21 years old. He's not 18 or 19. The curve is not as as steep as some guys. So that's my answer. Yeah, my answer would have been Ben Matherin, who I have at number five on my board. I think he is going to be ready to step in immediately as a movement shooter. Uh, defensively, it might be a little bit uh, rough early on. He just needs to engage a little bit more consistently on that end. But I think Ben is going to have no issues making an impact as a rotation player very early. Uh, I, I want to take a question here from Jay Black Productions in the YouTube comments here. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to give Matt the floor to be able oh, to – expand upon this Mm. can you guys help me out with johnny davis i know you guys love him but i'm landing more alongside hollinger with his lack of separation finishing and shooting screams college player to me uh matt i just want to give you one final opportunity to evangelize about johnny davis uh as a draft prospect as you have done throughout the course of this year because this is the last time that we're going to be doing a (laughs) pre-draft podcast this is a pre twenty twenty two draft podcast. Yeah, uh, I, I read John Hollinger's article. He does a great job. Puts in the time. I scrolled down. I kept scrolling and scrolled some more. <laughs> and I scrolled. He's twenty ninth. I think that is insanity. Uh, yes, he was inefficient. He was. He he took some bad shots. He had to. I believe in his own shot creation. I believe in how he plays off screens. I believe in the toughness that he has, both offensively and defensively. He finishes well by the basket without being a a super athlete. His competitive juice and fire is otherworldly in, in terms of like this draft, and that's why he's solidified himself as a lottery pick. The three-point shot has to get better. I'll, I'll own that. I'm sure he'll own that. I'm betting on the rest of the tools as a guy, as a sophomore, who carried Wisconsin to the Big Ten title. I know that's like screaming college guy. 37 points at Macarena against Jaden Ivey and Purdue. That doesn't scream college guy to me. Uh, hanging 30 on Houston in the, in the Maui Invitational is not that carrying his team on one leg and then see able to tournament is not college guy to me. So I'm in my chips are in the middle. I'm pro Johnny Davis. I actually like him more in that like seven to 12 range, as opposed to four to five, which I thought earlier, better places for him to land, grow, develop and be a piece. Yeah. And you know, as Evan Glansman says in the YouTube comments, uh, he has a Taco Bell commercial. So that's also an important <laughs> note. Uh, which, no, which, look, which, which I thought was awesome that uh, when you're with Andrew and Alex, one of the trivia questions was what uh, Taco Bell product was in the commercial. And I was driving and I laughed and I'm like, as much as I like Johnny Davis and Taco Bell, like it didn't even cross my mind what he was like eating. I was like, oh, it's a taco of, of, yeah, sorry. Uh, I just trust Johnny Davis to figure it out uh, on some level. Like he's a great defender. Those guys figure it out. I understand that like there are worries about how his offensive game translates. That dude is just tough. Like he is going to make it work at a high level in the NBA. I think, you know, how high of a level is that, you know, being the sixth man off the bench? Is that being, you know, a tough defensive starter who only takes open shots? 
I don't know, but he's six foot six. He is a very real athlete and he fights his ass off on the court. Uh, he has the off. He's considered the, like this on ball player only because of what his role at Wisconsin was. And I want to bring up this idea because I think that this is a really good point. I saw this on Twitter earlier. Mike Procopio, who you know was a scout for many years, now hosts a podcast with Andrew Bogut. He mentioned that there are 510 players in the NBA right now. And only 108 of them take at least 10 shots per game. The other 400 guys in the league are not going to be primary scorers. They need to bring other things to the table. I think that Johnny Davis's defense is going to allow him to stick. His ability to play off the ball uh, defensively is going to allow him to stick at a real level. I am a believer in Johnny Davis. I have him in my top 10. Uh, I am. Uh, I, I have, I've come around on Johnny Davis from where I was uh, later or, you know, at the start of the process a little bit. Yeah, it's it's similar to what you said about Procopio about Brad Beal, how he talked to his AU program after a game they lost and, and blasted him and said, like, how many guys you know scored 20 points per game in college? Nobody said anything. It's like, all right, well, how, how many guys score that in the NBA? There, there's so few players that do that. I mean, you're taking, talking about shot attempts. Johnny's got to be able to impact the game beyond just the scoring. He's not this guy that needs the ball in his hand to do it. He can do stuff off the ball. And also probably played out of position. Similar to Ty Ty Washington with Severe Wheeler. Similar with uh, Kenny Chandler played like off the ball this year. I don't think we've seen like the fully optimized version of a lot of these players just based on college too. Same with Jay Nivey, right? Jay Nivey played on ball, off ball, yeah. clogged the lane. It's been beat to death, but he's we haven't seen the full Jay Nivey either. Okay. Sorry to interrupt, guys. Uh, Zach and Jacob, you're up again. All right. I believe the mantle has been passed to me at PNW Sports 503 asks, which prospect has risen or fallen the most since the season ended? Probably Jalen Williams, right? Uh, I would say Santa Clara. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, Dalen Terry from Arizona, and I'd even throw in Blake Wesley in that bag too. Those are my risers. In terms of risen or fallen? Risen. I mean, when Blake Wesley declared, you and I potted like, hey, it would be great if he like went back to school and played with J.J. Starling at Notre Dame. Like, yeah. that would be a thing. Now he's more mentioned, and, and who knows, but, like, people's personal boards, he's somewhere between 15 and 20. When we started, I had him, like, 30, 28. So a jump of 15 yeah. spots or so is significant to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I have Blake, I think, at, like, 23, 24. I, I like him. Uh, I get it. I get the upside. Um, I would say Jalen Williams at Santa Clara is the answer here. Uh, look, at the end of the season – I probably had him in the fifties somewhere and yeah. he is in the green room right now. Uh, <laughs> he is. Crazy he has taken everything and just run with it at the end of the day uh, in Santa Barbara, working out with, you know, the guys with BDA WME. Uh, he has taken it and run with it at the combine. Every opportunity that he's had, he has been absolutely outstanding in every capacity. And he made everyone notice that he is a genuinely elite uh, or genuinely great wing prospect in this class. Maybe not quite elite, but uh, his overall well-roundedness as a ball handler, passer, shooter uh, really stood out. And then he's six foot six with a seven two wingspan, and that always helps. Who's the faller then? We can't cop out completely. That was the biggest riser. We got to go negative ten a little bit. Ah, uh, biggest faller. 
mean, it might be Walker Kessler, like through no fault of his own, just like people realizing that, you know, bigs aren't crazy valuable anymore. And that was kind of nuts too, because it was almost like a March fall. Like February, we're still middle of the first. And now we're debating whether or not it's go 25th. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, does Pat Baldwin count? Yeah. Yeah. Depends on kind of where you had him. I mean, where, where did you net out with him? I mean, I have him outside the 30s. I do have that. Yeah. I have him in the 40s. So I have him 41st. So I think yeah. end of the year is 25th. So that that's probably the the biggest drop of mine. Walker Kessler, it's a good one. That's yeah. Those are probably the two. Everyone else is within four or five picks of each other. It's going down. All right, Jacob. So this one kind of relates to the the best fits and the what each team should do episodes. Which oh if you have not went and watched those, <laughs> what have you been doing? But at Rohan DM ninety nine. So. I'm asking you guys to stand firm on your best uh, fits here. I don't remember. Rohan DM99 says, what is your favorite potential team player fit in the top ten? I've come around quite a bit on watching Paulo and Jalen Green play the two-man game and just absolutely adoring – getting a chance to watch those two because you're not going to be able to switch it because Paulo is going to absolutely obliterate mismatches in the NBA. If he has a guard or a wing on him, Uh, you also can't really drop it because Paulo can shoot from distance and Jalen green, you know, can kind of turn the corner on bigs pretty regularly. I, I, I just don't really know how you guard it in an effective way. When both of these guys are like 24 years old, so I've come around on that one in a pretty big way. There's has to be some moves to get there because he's not going to be here by the sixth pick. It's been rumored, discussed. If somehow Jaden Ivey gets to Indiana, that's the pick that I that the pick the fit I, I like the most. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton and Jaden Ivey are just two very different players. The way that they attack in the half court, the way they play in the full court, the way they play defensively. With them being able to play off of each other, there's some shooters and a big and, and Miles Turner who can also step out and hit some shots. So he, he's not going to stand there clogging the lane the whole time. That's a, a very intriguing lineup for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll also bring up Cade and Ivy as well. I think that'd be oh, really fun. I know. All right, Zach, you're up. Fire away. We got a question from at Hizzy Hornet. Three guesses uh, which team we're about to be talking about here. Uh, from the Queen City, North Carolina, what should the Hornets do at 13 and 15 if they're keeping both of their picks? Take one of the bigs that falls, Jalen Duran and Mark Williams. So he- here's a question. Here's a way to kind of spin this on its head a little bit. Does the fact that they're now talking to Mark D'Antoni change your mindset at all in regard to the big, the type of bigs that they should look at uh, selecting in this upcoming draft map? A little bit. You, you'll probably get more Jeremy Sohan type push, right? That yeah. You see him, not the shooter, so everyone relax, but he's more of like a Sean Marion type big than uh, whatever, but then what Mark Williams is, than what Jalen Duran is. So you probably slant more that direction. Or you mentioned it earlier in the show. 
is like EJ Liddell more at like 15, like the guy that you take to play more up tempo, seven seconds or less, and then take a swingman at 13. So it, it does shape it. I, I would get the horses to run with LaMelo, which we've talked about for a long time. So which of those guys can keep up? Uh, who's your kind of swingman pick there? Because there, there will be some good, decent wing names on the board. Yeah, if Sohan is there at 13, I really like that one. Tari Eason's a good one. I think they just need That's defensive good. help and like versatile defenders, right? Like Tari Eason, I think would really help them just like in terms of energy. He'd also give LaMelo Ball a real running partner uh, in transition because of his speed out on the break. Uh, Dale and Terry would be fun for them. Do it. Like that'd be it would. really, really fun. He, he, I think. he feels like a D'Antoni type player too. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Just like wreaks um, havoc, just sort of all over the place, but nowhere at the same time. Like that's that's yeah, the guy totally. that, that I'd like. That would be a lot of energy in that in that backcourt with uh Lamello too. Yeah, Jalen Williams would be interesting as well as a guy that I think could play in lineups with both Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball, uh, given his ability to handle the ball uh on a secondary level. He can shoot a little bit. That one kind of stands out to me as well, uh, is an interesting one for them. Yeah. All right, Jacob, I think you're up. Okay, so this one is probably a little more plummet vibes than the earlier plummeting question. So this man at Mr. Roberts underscore 23 said, who is this year's Sharif Cooper? Oh, what's that, man? Um, The guy that's supposed to go mid first and falls to the 48th overall pick. Oh, God. That's really really tough because – I don't, yeah. it was like Sharif couldn't shoot, right? I think he was like sub 20% from three or something like that. He was small, unbelievable as a passer, but you get into workouts with bigger guards and you see the the length and the size. It's, it's harder to adjust. I don't know if that guy's there. Uh, Kenny Chandler's like a better shooter than, than Sharif was. I don't, I don't see him tumbling in far in the second. Uh, I don't know yeah. because if, if there was a guy, I wouldn't put him in the top 20 or so of my board that I felt really strongly about. Yeah, it feels like the drops have kind of already happened. Like if Kendall Brown is there at 40, like that's not impossible, but I don't know if he's expected as like a mid first anymore. Um, well, you made a yeah, good point no, though. This is a hard on, one. On, this on is your, a hard one. I don't know. I think this is on your mock and, and not your draft guide. And, and we covered this last year too, is that the second round is a dice roll, right? There's a lot yeah. of two-way contracts, a lot of non-guaranteed stuff long-term. So once you crack 30, though, there there could be some actually savvier agents that say, like, we're good. We're going to slide down. So if Kendall Brown goes, I don't want to pick on him. If player X goes, is slotted to go 27th and go 40th, that might have been their own doing, too. Like, you don't have to overreact and say, like, I can't believe this guy slid so much. He may have slid to his own self-made decision of a team where he thinks he can go and earn minutes and get into rotation faster. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take one real quick from Ellison Orcott on Twitter. Uh, Vince Williams drafted or undrafted? Undrafted. I think that he fits right into this mix, right? In terms of like, look, Vince Williams is probably going to be on a two way to mm-hmm. start next season. And whether or not that means drafted or undrafted, we'll see. Right. I like Vince Williams. I had him as a priority two way guy for me uh, in the draft guide. As you could see one of my top, I think 10 names, 12 names, something like that. Uh, 
Yeah, I like Vince Williams and the shooting is interesting. He's a good defensive playmaker. Teams have some worries about what he'll look like whenever uh, he's matched against quicker guards. I think he actually guards a little bit better up the lineup as opposed to down the lineup. Um, But yeah, I I like Vince Williams as an interesting dice roll as a two-way. Whether or not that means he gets drafted, I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I I would say no on on drafted, but possibly yes on make a splash in summer league. Someone unexpectedly. Zach, you're up. So at Trust the Void wants to take a little bit of a step back and wants to know, what do you think so far about the G League preparing and helping these prospects get to the NBA? Matt, you go first. <laughs> Great. Uh, I, I like it. I, I, I actually enjoy the program. I've, I've been to their games in person. Uh, the biggest thing about the G League is they are prepared. It's it's the rubber is beating the road faster, and you you better be ready. There's nowhere to hide. There are NBA veterans and guys crawling their way back in the league, and the Jalen Greens, the Jonathan Kamingas, the Jaden Hardys, they have an enormous target on their back. It's not small. It's an enormous target because they know all the NBA teams that have these picks we're talking about are watching their games because of that. So if I play for the main rent clause and I'm playing the G league Ignite, I know I'm going to turn it on. And if I'm a defender, I'm picking them him up from 94 feet and saying, try to beat me kid. Uh, so I think they do get prepared at the same time. There is a level of exposure and that's going to happen at one time or another, whether it's in the G league, whether it's get drafted in summer league, whether it's in training camp. So the, it speeds up the clock in the process. I do think those guys are prepared but it's uh, it's a harsh reality, and you you have to be able to adjust to it. I think some of the guys have, some of the guys haven't. It's a really good measuring stick, and I'm uh, I'm all on board for continuing to to grow this thing. Yeah, I think that it speeds up the clock is a really good phrase for it, right? Because you got to be ready, you got to be ready to go. As I think Jaden Hardy learned this year, uh, he was he struggled early in his G League career. And because he struggled early, I think a lot of people weren't as willing to look at the fact later that he adjusted and was pretty good over the course of the last month he was there in the G League. So I think you got to be ready. I think that you have to absolutely be good to go from day one. Otherwise, it's going to be tough for you. I, I really think that it has a chance to hurt you as an NBA prospect, if you're not ready to go, but if you are ready to go, like Marjan Beauchamp was, it can really help you. Uh, I think that him playing in the G league and showcasing what he showcased against other pros, particularly helped him way more than what he would have been helped doing it against college players. So uh, like if, if you would have looked at his numbers and he was a sub 30% three point shooter against college players, yeah, I'm not sure teams would look at him. As a potential top 35 pick. Yeah, totally. And the NBA has been smart about having the the G League showcase and them being in center stage there playing at All-Star Weekend and new stuff. They're doing little twists, too, because it's different. You don't have March Madness. You don't have the the Final Four playing in a a football stadium and and not everybody in college. I mean, Paul Bancaro is the last man standing, but not all those guys had that opportunity. But they're doing their best to kind of replicate within their world, what the big time will be as like a quasi pro amateurish type level. All right. Uh, Jacob, I think you're up. Indeed. So ASAP Afra said he would like to know what the most realistic 
Jeremy Grant trade that you can think of is for the Pistons to snag another first rounder? You're Mr. NBA, so I, I pass that one to you, Sam. I, cu- I couldn't even tell you. I don't know what's realistic anymore because we, uh, you, you joked before hit record, turn off Twitter, which we do so it doesn't buzz. But also, I don't know what tweets are, are realistic, who has actual intel. The trade machine breaks my brain. So I, um, this is you, senior writer at The Athletic. Yeah, kind of hard. I think that it's. I'm trying to figure that out. Like looking at the team, I don't know if there's one for like a pick out there that makes sense, right? Like everyone is connected the Portland Trailblazers and number seven. I would not trade number seven for Jeremy Grant, as we said throughout the right. process. Mm-hmm. Uh, just kind of looking down the board, like. I think that the Wizards would be better off using number 10 to try and move for a lead guard. I think that the Knicks would probably be a little bit better off using number 11 to try and, you know, maybe you can make a case that it's like number 11, Nerland's Noel and like Alec Burks for Jeremy Grant. But the problem is if you do that, it makes it harder for you to open up cap space and then yeah. like potentially fill the point guard position via cap space. If you're moving uh, like Noel and Burks, you're probably trying to do it into open cap space in order to create space for someone like a Jalen Brunson, someone like a Kyrie Irving, potentially now given Sean's report yesterday. So yeah, I, I don't know that there's one for like a lottery pick that is out there in my mind i wonder the pistons want to go up though right like don't they want to get up in that top four like they're not i don't i don't know if 10 11 is doing much to move the needle for them i don't yeah yeah i i, I don't have it i, I don't have the, the deal off the top of my head it's it, it's harder than you would think for someone as good as jeremy grant and i think that um the fact that he has one year left on his deal makes it even more challenging which is a shitty answer. I'm sorry to whoever <laughs> asked that. I know. I know that. Garlic like, down. yeah. But it look like I think I hope that like that kind of helps you kind of, you know, navigate in your head. I don't know if there's like a top 14 pick out there for Jeremy Grant right now that would allow the Pistons to like pick up another, you know, lottery pick in this class. I think that Zach's up. Yeah. Yep. So I'm heading over to the YouTube comment section to see some of the great questions rolling in. And Michael McAfee has a great one. What is the value that Chet Holmgren uniquely poses to the Thunder in light of their desire to play five out? Uh, in- incredible value. Uh, I, it's hard to find these guys that allow you to be ri- that are rim protectors that can handle the ball and like grab and go that, like this uh, Chet Holmgren in my mind actualizes everything that the Oklahoma city thunder have wanted to do under Mark Dagnall, like every single thing, like they've tried to play up tempo. They've tried to play guys like Isaiah Roby and Darius Baisley at times at the five in part because they want to grab and go. They want to speed it up. They want to get moving on the break. Like I, to make that work defensively is very difficult. Chet Holmgren is so good at grabbing and going and passing and shooting out on the break while also being an elite level defensive player that this is a no brainer to me. This is, um, 
this is it. I, like this, this is this is kind of what they've been looking for in order to actualize things. And he would unequivocally be number one on my board if I was the Thunder. Yeah, and and could be right. Could be the the guy that they want first overall. Yeah, uh, everything everything you said, and it, it's just like he he's not a point guard, but he can grab and go. Right, he take it off the rim and and press and and take the ball to court, hit threes, go out the rim, kick out, block shots down the other end. He he does so many things that you wouldn't expect or anticipate for him. He surprises people with his versatility on, on both ends, and not there yet that that's the other thing like he actualizes it that he needs time and development and the thunder continue to stockpile picks assets move up the board he, he's not a guy that's going to steal all these extra it's not going to like plummet their draft stock because they in the future because chet's going to be so good he's going to take a, a year or two i've said that a lot maybe three years so it, it stays on their developmental timeline for their franchise too yep Jacob. all right so this is a kind of a fun one because it gives you guys a little break from this year's specific prospects. So Michael on sports would like to know a prospect from your early evaluation days that you completely missed on. How yeah, long this is a great one. Uh, yeah. You <laughs> miss you. on a ton of them. I mean, you know, I, I still miss on guys. This is really fucking hard. NBA teams still miss on guys that like do this professionally. It, it's a constant learning and growth process. So, um, you know, early evaluation days, you know, you, you certainly miss a lot. Uh, I would say the one that stands out to me that I've always called out is Rudy Gobert. I didn't think he could move at all whenever I watched him play in France. I, I just did not believe that that would work. Uh, I, did not understand it. Didn't get it. Uh, I thought I knew he was big. I knew he was long. Uh, I he's done an incredible amount of work on his frame. And what I didn't know was how much of a worker he was, how like tough he was, how strong he could become. Uh, I just saw kind of an uncoordinated guy that you know wasn't quite as good. And I think that you take every opportunity like that to try and learn how to get better at this and like you you he's one where it made me realize like you just unequivocally need to know the background on these guys you can't just blindly be guessing on prospects and you know have a good feel for it how about the how about the other way how about a guy that you had way too high guy that i had way too high you you can chew on it. I'll 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 start. Yeah, with, you go. Uh, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a couple. Scott Labasier. I, I didn't think he would miss at six eleven. Yeah, block shots, run the floor. I, I quickly realized once he got to Kentucky that like, ooh, I don't know if this is like a, a clean fit. Like I didn't think draft night he should have been a top five player. Like he ended up, I think the Kings drafted him late in the first round. Uh, but in high school, I, they said this is a this is an NBA All Star. I don't know what he he doesn't do, and a lot of people fell for it. He beat up Carl Towns at the Nike Hoop Summit, and people were ranking Scal way ahead of him. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier is my other one. I had really high. I thought he was going to be a, a surefire, no-brainer, all-star, which yeah. is the creation, the strength, what he could do off the dribble, played overseas when successful. Uh, shooting matters. It does, and, and that kind of held him back some. Yeah, let's see here. Um, I, I'm kind of going through my – Going through the archives? I'm going through the archives of CBS when I was really not very good at this writing at CBS. Um, I think you're pretty good. Yeah, I'm better at it now than I was. Uh, 
Let's see here. Let's see here. So April 10th. Uh, 2015. So this is the Carl Towns draft immediately after. Oh, I really liked Chris Dunn. That's a good one. Chris Dunn's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I I quite liked Chris Dunn. I I thought that he would be an all defense guy that I I thought there'd be like a lot of what we see from Drew Holiday, basically. Uh, All defense guy, super physical. And I think he is that on defense, but the offense just never even came close. Um, was way too wild. I knew that the handle was loose and I still just didn't, you know, I still just decided to have him at number four and number five on my board because I thought that he could tighten it up and I was wrong. Yeah, I, I was a little bit lower, but but similar. Uh, I was, I don't say blinded, but I. I was a little bit biased because Chris is kind of from the area. I uh, played for CBC, Connecticut Basketball Club, was around here. I actually coached him on a camp team before. before. So it was almost like a rooting interest, too. Oh, this like, is your fault. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, is this, was, this was being this like – before we even met, this is like uh, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind or something. Like this already happened and we just erased the memory. All right. Let's do one or two more. Let's finish on a – I'll call the one that I think is a good one when we can finish on it. All right, I believe I'm up. Heading back to the YouTube comment section. Is Josh Minot worth a low first round, high second round flyer? And yeah, I, I'm not quite. I don't <laughs> remember not, that. Yeah, he's not, swim, he's not swimming the ocean. It's Josh Minot. It's, it's, it's one yeah. of those sweet babies. I wanted to add a little fancy. <laughs> That's good. We're, we're very classy. Do, do we, it's like here's a, French, a good question. Po- French podcast. Josh Minot. Beautiful. Do we think that if Josh Minot was a French prospect from France, oh, that, uh, given all of his tools and athleticism, do we think that he would go in the first yes, round? Yes, that, that's kind of like uh, – do you remember the Jason Capono tweet? Uh, tweet, geez, I think Twitter existed. Yeah. Quote back in the day. He said, if my name was Jason Caponovich, I'd be a, a top 10 pick. Yeah. Uh, if it was Josh Minot, probably, right? It's yeah, like, Sekou Dembouya went in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Like this is – If he's on the yeah. same team as like Usman Jang, it's like, oh, Minot, Jang, who do you like? Yeah, they'd be – Maybe probably right there. And Benyama, uh, yeah, we're all here, baby. You know, we're not on track. Okay, so low first. Playing for center right. federal. Let's go. Uh, again, John Hollander stole my thunder. I think he has some like first overall or 10th or something. Uh, I have Josh Mount at 38th. I, I still believe you take a second round flyer. Second round's just like kind of whatever. This drop in the draft after 20 is, is hard for me. So I, I would low first round. There, there's a few other guys I feel more comfortable taking up to 30. If we're talking 31, non-guaranteed money, we can get him in there. Sure, let's take a flyer. He slashes, he cuts. He's a very good passer. The jump shot is wild. Uh, defends a lot of spots. He's he's the the guy that the second round is kind of made for, in my eyes. Yeah, I agree with Matt. I, I have him like at 40. I, I'm, I have not been as high on Josh throughout the entire year. Uh, I get the appeal. I I like my not. I would... I would have liked to have seen him go to like LSU or something this year uh, yes. where he would have gotten to rock uh, Cody Topper. The reason I mentioned LSU, Cody Topper recruited him to Memphis. He's now, uh, I believe the lead assistant at LSU. Is he not? Uh, uh, that sounds right. Man. I know he's at LSU. Yeah. I think he's so, the lead assistant. Um, yeah. Like I, I think that that would have been a really great fit, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I think the second round is made for guys like Josh Minot. I think that Matt nailed that. All right, so this is the this is so good. we've all been waiting for this. Um, J. Croft fourteen, 
getting the producers involved here. Question for the new producers. <laughs> you call which, your number? Which, which I, was going to admit, I was going to admit, I, I am. <laughs> I saw for the producers. Bill, Bill Russell, sub for yeah, myself. Out. With which player in this year's draft do you most disagree with Sam or Matt's evaluation? Oh, uh, let's go. Take it. Come on, Jay Crawford. Zach, I'll let you lead the they way. They made a here. burner account to ask your own question. Go ahead, Zach. Let's go. Yeah, Jacob, we're, we're not falling for that one. I, I saw you oh, tweet that about an hour ago. I'm not my inner KD, okay? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I'll keep it quick since you guys don't tune in to listen to me. Brady Manick is just being disrespected oh, in this year's draft. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. He's being disrespectful. I love it. What's, what's the part of the inter- was the part of the interruption back? The- no, it was uh, I don't know. Whatever. Like around the horn, get the minus points. Just like hit the button like ten times. What are we doing here? <laughs> I love Brady it. Man- Brady Manic. Uh, Brady yeah. Manic. Two way contract guy. Let's do for, it. Br- tournament Brady Manic, where he was like whatever eighty six for ninety four from three. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I fell into that trap before. Johnny Juzang. I, I argued on this podcast was a top twenty five pick. I don't know if Johnny. Gets drafted. We we can't get blinded by these little windows of games. Take the whole thing, uh, which also calls into data points in the draft. It's like it, there's yeah. the background, there's intel, there's pre-draft, there's the turn. Take all of it into consideration, um, and not just the tournament. Sorry, Brady. Great year, great run. Uh, we could be lower. I, I don't think he's a, a zero. Just I don't have him being yeah. drafted. I have him as a top 100 guy. I got yeah. him. I, I am. Yeah, I'm probably one of the few Evans top 100 guy to be honest. I like Brady Manic enough, but if he's on a two way, I wouldn't like hate that by yeah. any stretch. All right, Jacob, where, where right. are we at? My my disagreement here is going to really make Matt's head just explode oh, because just it's also going to make my UNC uh, alumni explode as well. I'm higher on AJ Griffin than I am Johnny Davis. I'm sorry. Like I get not, it. It's not, it's not it's not because I'm anti Johnny Davis. It's more like the long ball is so valuable. You know, AJ shot four point one a game, Johnny Davis shot three point nine, forty five percent compared to thirty. They're both I mean, Johnny's a little better defender, but I just think AJ's ceiling is higher. He's two years younger. Like I, I don't think taking him above Johnny is a bad thing. So I, I have AJ Griffin at twelve. You would have thought I had him at two hundred and twelve based on the vitriol I have received by having him twelve. <laughs> My my Adrian Griffin hang-up is this. If he doesn't shoot it, what is he? What does he do? Because we just talked about the guys that get eight shots a game, ten shots a game, right? Johnny Davis is shooting 28% of the field. He's still going to defend. He's still going to rebound. still going to compete. Not that AJ doesn't do that, but we talk about the defense is a problem. Uh, playing off the ball, he can cut a little bit, but the creation off the dribble, he's not like a great passer. So if the three-point shot, he rolls out, and he's shooting 31% from three, how does he stay on the floor? Valid. Yeah, I, I think I, I might also. I, have, ask, I'm not, I think I might yeah, also just, have PTSD from watching his <laughs> ceiling game at the Dean Dome. Uh, yeah, this year. that's true. But I mean, Louisville game. It's just really like good. if he can ever learn how to create and get to his spot, I just think like his ceiling is so high. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree with you too. Not, yeah. not. No, a, I'm with that. Arrows. Yeah, I'm with that. All right, Zach. Jacob, say goodbye as uh, Matt and I finish up here. Good job, boys. Great um, questions. Way to work. All right. Uh, uh, Penny, what have Josh, you been watching? Get, Josh, my, I, get, I can't hit our Josh Minow. It's so good. So good. I'm going to wake up at like 2 in the morning laughing about it. Uh, nothing new, but, 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 but I finished. Uh, we own the city, and I finished Stranger Things, which kind of hurts a little bit because 
I love Stranger Things. I thought it was fantastic. The episodes were just long enough where it was like, for me, when I had an hour, they're an hour 20. So sometimes I'd like cut it, watch it the next day. So it seemed like for three weeks straight, once I got home from the road, I was watching some installment of Stranger Things. So then when it ended the next night, my wife and I are like, well, what are we going to watch now? <laughs> like, yeah. That was kind of our show. They hit all the nostalgic things. It doesn't try to be anything it's not. They did a great job of portraying high school as not just like the normal shtick of like, here's the jocks and the bullies, but more nuanced, more layered to it. Love the show. I'm excited for July 1st, the next installment. Yeah, I adored Stranger Things. Uh, it's just the best show. I have so much fun watching it. It is... Yeah, I love it. Um, I've started watching Abbott Elementary, which is uh, on, I've, I think, ABC. It's on yes, Hulu. I yes, know yes, that. Yes, yes, I've seen the preview. It is unbelievably good. Really? It is okay. so funny. Like, my, like, Laura and I have put it on at the end of every night over the last, like, four or five days. And it's like a nice, the way that Laura put it is, it's a nicer version of The Office um like just a sweeter like hilarious version of the office and i agree with it it's so funny like the principal ava and like they're they're all just hysterical they all make me laugh at an incredible level like i i I, that show should win many emmys uh it is like between that and ted lasso for me in terms of what the best comedy is on tv have you gone back and and I know this is also just a, a repetitive thing. Have you gone back and watched The Office at all, like semi lately? Yeah. yeah, they would not be able to pull off like half the stuff they pull off there either. Like I, I laughed through not it, even a little bit. There's, there's not. This was like a, a moment in time. They moved on. Like can't even like look back. Uh, later seasons do drag a little bit. I wasn't as much of a fan, but the early stuff is so yeah. good, so good. Yeah, like up until season six or seven is when you're like in a pretty good spot. Basically yeah. as soon as Michael leaves is when you can stop watching, I think. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's un- it's un- And there's there's so much value to just like a show you can watch out of order. Like I don't know if Stranger Things popped up and it was like, "Oh, this is season 2, episode 5 if I'd like stick around." Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with that. Uh Penny. Anything else here? Any, any anything like you want to get off your chest before this draft starts? Here. Off my chest before the draft starts. No, not not really. I, I feel complete in a sense. Like I've like my I have a very clear head. It's not crowded. I went through a week ago where I just wanted to destroy my whole big board and said one through four is crazy. Like go the complete opposite direction. Dale and Terry should be fifth. I've come back down to earth a, a little bit. So more than anything, I'm excited and prepared for a a wild Thursday night. And I don't want to do too much between now and then because there's going to be so many trades and i think the draft's going to look a lot different than what we just talked about tonight on on over under odds but that's that's what makes it fun that's why we we tune in hopefully tune in here yeah yeah speaking of tuning in here we are going to have a draft night live stream i don't know what time we're going to start probably right around what seven we'll do like 30 minutes before the draft starts so there yeah probably i don't know what time it is in, in your world yeah i don't know like my, my brain is so broken right now i don't even know what time the draft starts but we will be here you will be able to come and watch us break down all of these fun players uh as they go to their new homes their new destinations all of the trades that occur it's going to be really fun please join us on draft night it's going to be great 
Uh, for Jacob and Zach, producers of the show, just the absolute best. That's Matt Penny over there. Please tell the people where they can find your work. Find me on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Thank you for all the new followers this week. Uh, guys are, are way too kind, way too nice. Yeah, Matt. For the most uh, part. Matt's, Matt's fine. <laughs> yeah, Good fine. for him. Yeah, fine. Uh, Go subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, All of the great stuff that I've done pre-draft has gone up. Um, Mock draft is up. Draft guide is up. I was going to say, draft guide. Yeah, draft guide, draft guide, draft guide. Please go read the draft guide. Like That's the move by all stretch of the imagination. Um, That's the one that you're going to want to read. That's where you're going to get all the information you're looking for. Uh, Please remember, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple, You know, iTunes, soundcloud whatever the hell you're spotify, using do it. Click it. spotify that's the one spotify that's the big one um last thing is subscribe to the youtube channel as well that really helps us continue to grow the page grow the channel until next time though we will talk soon we will see you on thursday oh additionally i have a off-season preview podcast coming with James Edwards tomorrow. So you're going to have some good stuff uh, coming before the draft. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.